leave a trail of friends and strike out on whatever your enterprise is, whatever that mission is, it needs to be one of your principles to do no harm. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by CBRE. CBRE is the global leader in real estate operations, providing solutions to the world's largest energy, oil, and gas companies. CBRE supports their clients' facilities, both upstream and downstream, without compromising safety by delivering strategies that optimize operations, reduce costs, and risks. Unlock the power of your energy, oil, and gas portfolio with CBRE. Learn more at www.cbre.com forward slash EOG. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments to leave a review in iTunes. I actually have one to read today. So Dell Robinson writes in, five stars, need a book list, great show. First time I've ever left a review for a podcast. Thank you, Dell. But this one is so worth it. I love hearing how leaders in the oil and gas industry deal with problems and their lessons learned. We'd love to see a list of books recommended by your guests. I actually have a side list. I just don't know where I would share that. So stay tuned for that. Also, if you're interested in getting your hands on some OGGN laptop hard hat stickers, check out the show notes for a 10-second survey, and we'll get those shipped out to you. All right. Well, I'm sitting here today with Michael Dyson, co-founder and chief executive officer at Infinity Water Solutions. How's it going, Mike? It's going great, Paige. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Can't really complain, actually. (laughs) I hurt my back earlier this week, so I'm on some meds. We're not even going to talk about how I just did the same thing stepping down at London. (laughs) Getting older is a harsh mistress, Paige. Yes, yes, because I woke up this way about a week and a half ago, and then I had to go to urgent care on Labor Day. So that was fun. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. But you have a nice long weekend to recover, right? No, that was actually on Labor Day. That was on the day. Oh, man. So then I had to find a pharmacy that was open, too. So that was a fun day. Fun holiday. Now I know my job is to make your afternoon today as easy on you as possible. (laughs) It's okay. I'm on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) so everything's gravy there you Uh, go well mike let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry oh man well it's going to go back a number of years i'm probably not unlike a lot of folks in the industry uh, multi-generational i'm a second generation in oil and gas i spent most of my summers with the opportunity to either do roustabout and roughneck type work or get my backside in the courthouse and start assisting proper landmen with their due diligence projects. Right. Yeah. So what made you keep continuing on? Was it money? Was it passion for it? What was it? Oh, well, I think admittedly, I'd love to say that I just had a passion for what we do, but that came, I think, a little bit later in life once I really started to understand the value of the work in the oil and gas industry and why it matters. I kind of swore up and down, honestly, that I wasn't going to do it anymore. (laughs) I think I stuck around in it long enough. The pay in the right circumstances, you hit it in the right portion of the cycle is fantastic, right? I think if you reflect in hindsight, the education you get is phenomenal. On-job education, on-site education is amazing. The cast of characters you get to get to interact with, I mean, 
the industry attracts all walks of life at the end of it. And you just get an experience set that is very interesting. That said, I absolutely swore up and down. I was going to walk away from it. <laughs> but despite my landman roots, I decided to go to law school at one point so I could kind of mess up my own deals. Sorry to all the attorneys out there. I think you're <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal folks. And it's an honorable profession. Jokes aside, though, <laughs> I got out of law school in 2008. And so 2008, pretty auspicious time to start a career in something new. I was competing with for entry-level positions with attorneys that had three, four, five years behind them. The energy industry in 2008 was humming along. I had the upside of that landman background. I had the upside of having you know friends and family in the industry. And so it made a heck of a lot of sense to move back to Texas and get kind of kicked back off in the industry in that format. I'll say that even then, I swore up and down to my now wife that it would be temporary. <laughs> But this industry has an amazing way of, at one point, I would have said getting its claws into you, but really, I think, allowing you to become kind of enamored with what you're doing. I don't want to make it sound too kind of high flute and pompous, but I mean, in the energy industry and oil and gas specifically, you have an opportunity, a real opportunity to make a meaningful difference. And you can see what that meaningful difference looks like day to day. Yeah. When you get into it, right, it's an exceedingly nuanced and arguably complex industry with a tremendous amount of opportunity. And it doesn't necessarily matter if you're not particularly interested in this one aspect, I can assure you there are any number of other aspects that might really catch your attention. And I think what ultimately happened back in 2008 was I started to more, maybe a level of maturity that kind of opened my eyes to that. And it became phenomenal puzzle after puzzle that I had. And then that's when the passion came in, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would argue that that even progressed and kind of evolved Right now, I started in the upstream side of things, doing landman work initially. And then around 2012, like any number of other folks before me, decided, you know, creating an operating company and starting to drill some of these wells that I'd only kind of researched, uh, right, and helped other organizations uh, undertake. I thought that made a lot of sense. I had the good fortune, again, of eventually convincing my father that I would make a decent partner, uh, business partner. Ooh. Uh, so that I know. <laughs> what can I say? Leadership is a journey at the end of it. It is. A lot of learning lessons <laughs> along the way and maybe questionable decisions. I kid. My <laughs> father's a wonderful human being and I have no idea how I ever convinced him to take a chance on me as a business partner, but I'm very thankful that he did. And we kicked off Dyson Energy in 2012. It was a lot of fun. And I, at one point convinced my younger brother, I guess I should say we convinced my younger brother to join us in, in around uh, spring of 2014. And so we got to ride a couple fun cycles, right? Uh, yeah. We talked about earlier, kind of jumping in on that Austin chalk, what would lovingly be referred to as the East Texas Eagleford in that region. At one point, we bootstrapped as much as 45,000 acres. Wow. Yeah. So it was a really fun experience. And I got to experience firsthand, not only building a team, but building a company and eventually building an organization. It was a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal experience. And at the end of it, made all that much better having the opportunity to work with my family, getting to know family members. In a different way. That's right. Yeah. I was very fortunate in that regard. When we talk about passion for the industry, it's really easy for me to point directly to kind of how that manifested. That's awesome. That's awesome how that worked out. And you know, it's funny is when I was younger, my dad worked on a platform that Shell owned called Bullwinkle at the time. Nice. And then whenever... I got into oil and gas when I finally started caring about what my dad did, you know, 
Because, you know, yep. kids. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean by that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then we ended up operating, my company at the time ended up operating Bullwinkle. And I was like, this is so cool. I have something in common with, yeah, something in yeah. common with my dad. Man, so, that is, that's a really fun story. And, and so how did it go? What did you learn from that? I think I learned that kids don't care when you're younger, you're too busy about wanting to go play outside and all this stuff. I distinctly remember him showing me pictures of the platform and yeah. me going, that's huge. I don't understand what all that stuff is. But then when I thought about it, when I got older, I was just like, wow, I know what all this is now. You bet. I will tell you, it's a very similar experience, right? When I was a kid, my dad got started in the industry through Pipeline. So Clayton Williams, Clayco, and then yeah. uh, subsequently Andrus, and then Brian Woodbine Gathering. But most of my childhood would be seeing my dad kind of stare down into a hole where Pike was being put and not really understanding anything. And my brother and I were convinced that these pigs, these pipeline pigs, were yeah. no better than or no worse than footballs. So, yeah. which is true up until you catch one in the eye. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in which case, a little bit painful. But no, that's it. I think the experience of really starting to understand, wow, this is what he was doing. Right. Yeah. What dad was up to. It wasn't just staring into a hole, pointing a little bit. Yeah. You have that moment of epiphany of, oh, now I understand and I get it. You bet. And then when you think about what it all means, like, what does it mean when I'm like this pipeline is going in the ground? What does it mean with that platform out? I mean, and a platform too. like, that's just an amazing piece of human ingenuity. Oh, yeah. When you think about what that's actually providing right? We're drawing the life's blood of the economy right up to the surface. And then we're pushing it through these pipelines that are absolutely necessary to get that life's blood to the organs that desperately need it, right? It's absolutely fascinating when you get into that. I'll tell you that that aspect, right, runs me kind of right into how I ended up in water, right? This Mm -hmm. idea of pushing that life's blood, if you will, right? We all know, I mean, it sounds like you've been in actual operations as well for oil and gas. Yeah. What else comes up through that well bore? In a lot of cases, in greater volume than the crude itself. Yeah. And it's water. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Right. And then that's where you come in. That's right. <laughs> so let's talk about your current role. Yeah. Well, Infinity Water Solutions. We're kind of a modern take. I think people keep wanting to push us into water midstream, which I think is interesting nomenclature, especially for an industry that's really only been kind of a quote unquote around since 2017 ish. But what we do is we focus on the recycle and reuse. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to try to advocate anytime possible for a zero liquid discharge, which is our way of saying, look, if a barrel of water comes into our facilities, we're going to treat it and we're going to send a barrel of water out for reuse. Right now, uh, we operate a handful of facilities in southeastern New Mexico. So in the northern Delaware Basin. Specifically, Leonetti County, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And we've had a, well, perfect success to date, not having to dispose of a single barrel of water that's come in through our facilities. It's this idea that the produced water can be encapsulated and used thoughtfully in kind of this closed loop system, right? Because the other side of the oil and gas industry is not just the production of a fair amount of water, but also the usage of a fair amount of water. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, so at the end of it, you see water is a pretty critical component. Infinity caught my attention for a handful of reasons in that regard. And then, you know, I've kind of the good success of putting together an amazing team over here. I've had a lot of luck in working with some just amazing professionals that have helped us really evolve the idea a little bit beyond just the idea of gathering water, treating it and shipping it back out for, uh, for reuse. 
Yeah. And so let me ask you something about that, because there's a lot of people that aren't in the industry that listen to the show that don't quite understand why that's important and how it's used. So once produced water comes about, you guys take it, you treat it. Where does it go after that? Man, that is a great question. So traditionally, produced water, and typically traditionally, certainly for onshore domestic production in oil and gas, you're going to have more water produced than you're going to have actual oil. Right. And that water typically has either been put in trucks or in a pipeline Mm -hmm. and sent down an injection well or SWD, a saltwater disposal well, right? And what's happened largely since the shale revolution, if you will, to kind of borrow a marketing term, I guess, but once the level of innovation that allowed shale development to occur in the United States, once that came on, so did the industry's need for water. And so what we saw is an astronomical increase in produced water that produced water, again, being kind of this waste stream that oil and gas operators, you have to be able to secure the offtake for that produced water, right? I have to be able to get rid of that so that I can produce the oil and gas and secure the offtake of my oil and gas. There are a handful of ways to do it, but traditionally it's all been put down whole. Yeah. Again, the other side of that, right, when I'm drilling those wells and completing those wells, Typically, the industry has used a considerable amount of fresh water in them. Mm-hmm. And so the industry is really putting a lot of pressure on water scarcity system, on systems that are becoming increasingly pressured for water scarcity, right? And at the same time, injecting a tremendous amount of water that has been directly linked in any number of circumstances to increased risk of seismicity. At the end of it, it just made a little bit more sense in our minds. And I think in the minds of we're not the only folks engaged in water recycling and reuse, but it made sense in our minds to try to figure out that logistic center that allowed us to recycle all of it, at which point we would be able to help an oil and gas company alleviate the pressure on a freshwater system. Mm-hmm. And that put allow that water basically to stay where it is for other uses, such as agricultural, while at the same time alleviating the risk for seismicity going forward. So it just kind of seems like a little bit of a no-brainer, really, at yeah. the end of the day. That said, tremendous logistics challenge, which, again, we're not certainly not the only people trying to undertake that. But I do think, again, quality team, we have a really interesting approach to it. Yeah. And I used to have to get permits to move that water. So I know you how... Well, yeah, no, you do. That's a great point, right? The water that comes up is highly regulated. Yep. And rightly so. The industry, I think, is a, by and large, a very responsible, certainly for a heavy industry, right? Is we are responsible folks. That doesn't mean that accidents don't happen. And it certainly doesn't mean that there isn't room for improvement. Oh, there's always room for improvement. Always. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big mantra for us, Paige, in truth. It doesn't matter how good we do, we can always do better. That needs to be our goal. That doesn't mean you don't celebrate your victories and your wins and, and you know hitting your milestones and making your metrics, but make sure you challenge yourself on the other side of that, right? That's how we as professionals and I think we as an industry grow. So yeah, it's I think also the industry has a really good track record of doing exactly that, right? I think that's for people that are giving the oil and gas industry a fair shake. I think that's something you have to conclude that yeah. we are an innovative bunch at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. And we're not exactly open to change, but if it's going to save someone's life, we will. We make jokes over here, not infrequently. Aspects of the industry, and you mentioned regulatory. Sometimes it happens on the regulatory side. They can be as archaic as the stuff that the industry is pulling out of the ground, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, you don't have so, to tell me that twice. Yeah. <laughs> I think, again, there's responsibility there, 
right? And we don't have to move things quickly for the sake of moving things quickly. As a matter of fact, I'd argue that as an industry, we shouldn't. Not for the sake of moving it quickly, but what we should endeavor to do is to innovate consistently and to do that responsibly. And I think in doing that, continue to earn the support of the public, which maybe the industry is kind of lost on occasion. Right. Yeah. So let's get into leadership, Mike. What is leadership to you? Well, it's a practice at the end of the day. I'd argue not any different really than the practice of law and the practice of medicine. I don't know that there's a given destination, which is probably why I would argue that leadership is a journey, really. It's a balance between being a hippo and an elephant. It's (laughs) the elephant with the big ears and the hippos with the bigger mouths barking the orders kind of thing. I like that analogy. (laughs) Right? It's knowing when to speak up and knowing when to listen and knowing how to get your colleagues the tools that they need to do the jobs that they know how to do. It's a challenge in recognizing the abilities of the people around you. And then I think it's a process of understanding how to surround yourself with the right people to engage and successfully complete the task at hand. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a journey. It's fun. It's a puzzle. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So do you have an example of a difficult experience you've had in leadership? Oh, man, how much time do we have? <laughs> I think the biggest challenge for me is when you're building a new team, mm. right? And understanding, yeah. right? Because, I mean, all of a sudden, you have all of these new personalities. You have different motivating aspects to folks, different slightly nuanced approaches. What's going to motivate one person is going to you know, maybe offend another, right? I think getting to know your team, to understanding the skills of that team, and then probably the single hardest thing for me is getting out of their way, right? Oh, yeah. Letting go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Letting these professionals that you know are capable of doing the job. I think that's the biggest challenge is just trusting, right? Trusting folks to do what you know they're capable of doing. Well, I think it's more than that. I think it's trusting yourself to go, okay, I know how to do this, but I've obviously hired this person and they can do a better job. That's absolutely Absolutely. Right. And at the end of the day, I think I say that I have one talent that is recognizing talented people. Right. Yeah, that's it. And it's empower those folks to do what they know how to do. Right. And then do one better. Get them the tools that they need. Help them knock down whatever barriers that exist and then figure out a way to encourage them to really optimize what they're already really good at doing. Right. It's a really good point, Paige. Excellent point. Yeah. So with that, what's the most rewarding part about being a leader? It kind of caught me off guard, actually. When I largely stepped away from Dyson Energy, I had taken folks from all kinds of different backgrounds, professional backgrounds. I had one gentleman who had been a a manager, an assistant manager at a grocery chain, and another guy who had been a a ranch hand, no background really in oil and gas, none at Mm -hmm. all. And watching them go on to lead departments just a few years later in other organizations in a completely new industry, knowing that I was able to set up a process that allowed them as professionals to develop not just a job, but a career. That was fantastic. That really has been great to see. Yeah, without question, without question, the most rewarding watching folks move on to these other things and knowing that I was able to provide some level of encouragement for them to do that. That's been fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like it really fills your cup. Yeah, without question. I don't know how you can say otherwise. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Yeah, if we've done a good job, I think if I've done a good job, I'm definitely going to suggest that 
what I've done is given, I've provided a person to not only optimize their performance in the organization, right, and in this enterprise, but also put them in a position where opportunities are at their doorstep. And then if our enterprise is really purposeful, right, Mm -hmm. that you want these really skilled people who can honestly write their ticket just about anywhere to turn around and say, you know what, I'm going to stay. Or please give me a call when you're on to your next project because this has been a fantastic experience. I think that's a phenomenal goal, at least for me. It's a tremendous goal. Very good. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be, Mike? Leave a trail of friends. Leave a trail of friends and do no harm. We have a lot of people in this industry, and I'd love to say that I've always understood that, right? But we all mature at different rates and we all have different life experiences. But I would unquestionably underscore that cliche, it's a small world. It absolutely is. It really is, especially in this industry. Without question there. I will tell you that folks will always come back around in some form or fashion. And if you've done right by people, I mean, this concept of kind of karma coming back to you, I've just witnessed it time and again. And so leave a trail of friends and strike out on whatever your enterprise is, whatever that mission is, it needs to be one of your principles to do no harm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Isn't that similar to what Google's motto is? Just like, do no evil? Well, there you go. That's infinity. Something like Google. that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I don't yeah. <laughs> I'm immediately second guessing that. <laughs> also really hoping that none of Google's folks come after us for any kind of brand infringement. I'll take the hit. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> so what book has influenced you the most? Oh, influenced me the most. That's a massive question. But I think the one that's kind of driving me right now is an operating manual for Spaceship Earth. Uh, it's a, by Buckminster Fuller. It goes back to the 50s. It's kind of a management design concepts, right? Management mm-hmm. philosophy concepts. So process design, what it all, kind of one of these books that suggests what does it all mean when it comes together? Like, what does it mean to put it all together, so to speak? So I had a really good friend of mine gift that to me not so long ago. So maybe part of the influence is a little bit of nostalgia too, but I think it's phenomenal. I highly recommend any kind of readings on design process and honestly, anything that's going to help you with, if you're endeavoring certainly down a leadership path, Mm -hmm. anything that's going to help you kind of understand process, right? And then the human components behind developing those process. Yeah, it's funny you say that because a lot of people that work behind the scenes and the people that delegate what needs to be done don't always understand what the processes are in order for that to occur. It's like, hey, get me a permit. Well, I need these things. (laughs) You're not just (laughs) going to get a permit because I called, you know, Bessie and was like, hey, we need this permit. Well, there are requirements. You bet. Well, and to your point there, Paige, I mean, that's the concept, right, of starting the CEO in the mailroom. If Mm -hmm. you don't understand how the operation works from its kind of that lowest common denominator, how the heck are you going to manage it from the top? And then I agree wholeheartedly with that. Understand your process. Understand why these mousetraps were built. And then I'm going to do one better. I'm going to suggest that if you understand why a mousetrap was built, can understand its component pieces. Why did I put this cog there and this cog there? What that allows you to do is to contemplate innovation in the form of increased efficiencies, right? If I know why one piece works, what was the concept of putting this gear three quarters of an inch to the left versus down in the lower right corner? Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, I understand the potential 
for increased efficiencies in my process, or at least I have the potential to understand that. It's a hard skill, and I don't think it's one that necessarily comes naturally to most people. It doesn't. In my experience, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) I think most people, the vast majority of people are absolutely capable of learning and kind of honing these skills. I think they sit, you know, largely innate, innately in most of us, right? And we choose whether we're going to push ourselves into this new level of, you know, maybe learning, I guess, but the level of discomfort in that, right? Yeah. If you look at it, like most of us, we all strive to have this level of safety and maybe this comfort, right? We want risk mitigation at the end of the day, but rarely are those elements going to drive any kind of innovation. Right, because you've become complacent. Oh, that's exactly it. That's exactly how I feel, right? So why did I end up in water after such a different course, I guess? Mm -hmm. The opportunity, it was novel, right? It's going to force me to learn all new skill sets. And I'm going to have an opportunity to work on interacting with a whole new set of professionals. I don't know how you don't get excited about that kind of thing. That said, I respect the fact that I'm sure there are people out there that don't necessarily, but it certainly does it. That certainly does it for me. Good. What is your most used business tool? Oh, man. Gosh, I hate to say the internet. It makes me sound old, really, but that's it. Knowledge, right? And having that instantaneously at your fingertips is immensely powerful. I think one of the things that's challenged us the most in our endeavors at Infinity has been a relatively novel approach to managing water in the produced water sector and the energy sector, right? Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of tools that did exactly what we needed them to do. So what we've actually struck out on partnerships, working with QRI, Quantum Reservoir Impact, folks out of Houston, really big in machine learning and AI to develop a brand new tool to help us really understand produced water the way we think produced water needs to be understood. So both quantitatively, but qualitatively i.e. what do these molecules look like before they ever hit my system. That is becoming an increasingly valuable tool. When we are done building that Speedwise Water platform, I have zero doubt that that will become our most useful tool in Infinity. That's great. That's really great. It was funny because I was talking with my boyfriend the other day about, do you remember when we were younger and we got, you know, like encyclopedias for Christmas? Yeah. And how excited you got knowing you have all this knowledge right in front of you because you didn't have the internet at your fingertips. Yep. And so I'm from a kind of a similar era, right? Where my formative years were, I was all analog until, <laughs> until about a couple of years into college kind of thing, in which case everything shifted so readily to this digital format. Yeah. This democratization and access to information and knowledge, it is exceedingly valuable. One of the things I wish that had kind of come with it was a greater sense of responsibility, how to properly maybe collect and analyze and disseminate information, right? I think Mm -hmm. access to it can also unfortunately open us up to abuse in certain formats. So good and bad, but I'm going to say largely good, right? I joked with Alan Gilmer, founder at Drilling Info, not so long ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know that guy. Yeah, he's a character. I I do over here in Austin. It's not necessarily uncommon to run into him. He's always one of the friendliest guys out. But I told him, you know, not so long ago in a run in that, thank God you guys created Drilling Info, 
right? Because as a platform, without it, a Dyson Energy couldn't have existed, right? That's to that information, the same kind of or similar kind of information that much more robust, well-funded operations would have access to, but a small kind of startup operator absolutely would not. That was a game changer. And so I didn't know, he looked at me and thanked me briefly for saying it, but that level of democratization of information, it's powerful. And it's powerful for driving these economic forces that we in the United States, we hold up, right? We say, look, these small businesses, small mom and pop, small family, small startup, early stage companies, that's our bread and butter. And it's this level of information and access to information. That's what empowers us. And then we have to run the slippery slope of, of right-sized regulation and, yeah. and <laughs> all the things. But uh, that's what gets it started. That's what kind of tills the field, if you will, to allow those seeds to even have an opportunity to take root. Yeah. And so with that, who would you say is your most respected competitor? Oh, man. There are a number of folks that are in this kind of water midstream. And I hate to tip my hat to them too much, but it's hard not to. The folks at Eris, I, I think they're top of class. I think they have a level of innovation that's built into them. I think mm-hmm. it's a little tougher, as a, especially as a public, to manage an innovation set. But I think they do a really good job of it. I've had an opportunity to meet a handful of kind of their key people. They always represent very well. They've got great ideas. I think Eris sets it up there. And I don't know the folks over at Waterbridge quite as well. But you know, from everything I can see, Waterbridge, they're really doing some interesting things. So I think those are the guys who would I would absolutely tip my hat to. But I would also kind of that water midstream, though. Yeah. It's an interesting bunch, right? And I think there's a lot of good. And I certainly don't mean to suggest that those are the only guys doing a lot of good things out there. But they're certainly ones that I think are impressive. Good, 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 good. So what would you say is your most important lesson learned? Yeah, I'm going to go back to leaving a trail of friends. Mm. That's, I think, the most important lesson is to understand that what's immediately in front of you, that is as far from the end of the journey, right? And if you're only looking to consider tomorrow, you're going to inevitably going to set yourself up for some hard times later on. So leaving that trail of friends, understanding that these people are going to come around if you're going to continue to do things, right? Whatever those things might be, you're not going to do them by yourself. The likelihood of you going, being a solo success is slim to none. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's it. Leaving that trail of friends. Perfect. So what are your thoughts about telling someone about this industry that doesn't quite understand our industry? I love it. Evangelicals. I think one of the things that the, but on it, I say evangelicals, and maybe that's not the right term, right? Because I think there needs to be an honesty in the information, right? You can't go too salesy on it. But I will tell you, I've had the good fortune of adding to our team here mm-hmm. at Infinity, folks who prior to really understanding what we're doing and what this industry is about, they probably would have said, yeah, the oil and gas industry is well on its way out, right? And if we can make a I don't want to say a believer out of it, because again, it's a little gimmicky to say that, I think. But if we can one by one educate and inform really, really otherwise educated and informed people on how this industry works, why it matters, the fact that we can switch every car to electric if you really want to, but you've got to understand that electricity comes from somewhere. That's right. (laughs) And it's not from the socket. It's not from the socket in your wall. But almost as importantly, Paige, like there's another aspect of this too, right? Like if I send a barrel of oil to a refinery, 
roughly, I want to, I'm probably quoting, I think, 2018 metrics, but a little over 40% of that barrel of crude gets refined into gasoline. Yep. What that means is 58% of that barrel gets refined into other things. Yep. Well, if I get rid of gasoline and the need for gasoline, how am I going to rationalize and, and justify the CapEx for the other 58% of those refined right. products? Yeah, all the other byproducts for sure. That's right. And so, you know, I think when people stop to really consider the impact of an energy transition, you better be ready to embrace the conversation of an economic transition, the way your entire economy functions. And I mean everything down from where your textiles come from to how you're fertilizing your crops, everything in between. Right. And so the opportunity to really just have an informed conversation with people, I think that's exceedingly valuable. Yeah. Especially when you get lucky enough that they're actually open minded enough to listen. You know, it just, you got to maybe buy a couple pints, right? Yeah. A couple pints and have a conversation. But I think a big challenge for us, and I'm obviously a believer in the oil and gas industry and our ability to not only continue doing what is absolutely necessary for our quality of life, but also to understand that we can do a better job, we can innovate and operate in a more sustainable framework, right? I think we can do that. I know we can do that. Yeah. It's just like we were talking about earlier. There's always room for improvement. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think when most people are willing to have an honest, I think most people are willing to have a conversation about that in actuality, right? And it's certainly for an oil and gas industry. When we say that we're out of Austin, I think our colleagues out of Houston and DFW kind of raise their eyebrows a little bit. And when we say that our founding team, we were all upstream guys. We understand the challenge of produced water because quite honestly, we lived it. We largely lived it as small operators, which meant that when you start talking about pipeline capacity and takeaway, we were literally last in line. (laughs) So (laughs) we understand that challenge quite a bit, but we also understood that, you know, with a slightly different approach, that sustainability conversation doesn't need to be greeted with a level of cringe, right? We can introduce sustainability with profit, right? And that profit is going to make a level of difference. That's a value add, a value proposition for your operators. Why should we change the way we do things? Well, it's going to save on your bottom line. And then if folks are also open to having this sustainability with purpose, right? Sustainability with purpose is what gets our people in the door. That's what keeps our people wanting to do what we're doing. These are folks that could go and earn a paycheck, write their ticket just about anywhere they wanted to go. So profit is a must. You know, We need to be realistic about about these things, right? We're a free market economy at the end of the day. You know, the purpose for any business is to make a profit and provide a yield to its shareholders. But I don't think it has to be done. And what we're demonstrating over here is it can be done with purpose in mind. I think most people, again, most people are reasonable folks in my experience. It's 5% maybe either side of that spectrum that you're never going to convince anyway. So I don't know, just enjoy the beer in the meantime. (laughs) I like that. I feel like that should be your motto. Maybe. Just enjoy Maybe the beer in the meantime. We'll, we'll paint that on the door. We'll have a <laughs> first thing when you come in. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. To wrap everything up, do you have a favorite podcast? Well, I mean, I don't know how I don't jump onto OGGN and then I'm not talking about the leadership podcast. <laughs> you guys are good enough to have me on. So you must have something good going on over there. <laughs> <laughs> jokes, 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 jokes. Fair, fair, sir. Fair. I love it. The stories about experience for folks, you know, undertaking kind of leadership roles. It's not for the faint of heart. You're always going to have a challenging day. And it's really fantastic to tune into your podcast and hear other people's experiences. Yeah, just to know that you're not struggling alone, right? (laughs) Exactly. 
That's jokes. You know, shared strife. I like to say this, and too, this is why the question about the book was difficult, right? We get one lifetime. Yeah. And the beauty of shared experience, whether it's through a podcast or through a book, is now I get a glimpse into somebody else's experience set. And so I get to, you know, if I read it, you know, and listen to a thousand podcasts and read, you know, a thousand books, that's a couple thousand excerpts from other people's life experiences that I get. And then I'm a believer that that information, especially if analyzed and used properly, is going to make you a better professional and ideally a better person. Yeah. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for coming on and sharing your journey. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Infinity Water Solutions, how might they go about doing so? Oh, our website is pretty easy. It's water.energy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I am readily accessible. I have a general problem in that I really like interacting with folks. Don't hesitate. I'm easily found on LinkedIn or any number of other places. Feel free to reach out. We've got amazing folks over here that will almost always pick up a phone call, you know, assuming they have availability and certainly respond to messages. So always feel free to reach out. Awesome. All right. Well, that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.